It's been a while, but we're back with another episode of Ushers to Ashes, a podcast about alternative culture in the 1980s. In this episode, we pay tribute to our adopted city of Melbourne by shooting the shit and playing some of our favourite Melbourne-related tunes. We're in hard lockdown due to COVID-19, so you're going to have to excuse the Zoom glitches in this recording. Enjoy. So what do you recall from the 80s when you first moved here in terms of the music scene? Like, who did you go to see? Um, what impressed you? Well, let's, let's begin by exchanging these impressions. What impression did you have of Melbourne music before you got here? Did you have any? Yeah, I, I did. So I'd heard about the Crystal Ballroom and that scene. Um, I saw Nick Cave in Perth and was incredibly impressed. So I associated Melbourne with that kind of vibe. So seen a band called Weddings, Parties, Anything, mm -hmm. which in some ways are a quintessential Melbourne band. Mm. And I used to get a lot of shit for liking them. I mean, I had a girlfriend at the time who was also into them, but the kind of musician friends I had thought they really mm. were not much chop. But I just loved Mick Thomas's songwriting and found it incredibly evocative in terms of the way he documented life in Melbourne. The songs, you know, he, he some of their famous songs commemorated places, you know, under the clocks. Uh, another song I think was name checking the suburbs that were close to him, Northcote and so forth. So these were mythical places to me, which I'd kind of known, which I'd heard of through these songs. Good streets, 
So I, a lot of Melbourne bands used to come to Perth and uh, I was generally impressed with what I saw. And Melbourne was seen as the capital, I think, of indie music at that time. Well, that was the impression that we had in Perth. So there were those expectations. But when I came here, I spent a lot of time with John, a childhood friend from Perth. Uh, we're still friends. He's a painter and he was associated with the, the raw artists who actually had their base in Fitzroy. They, had, they, they were like the punks of the art scene and, um, you know, they put on their own shows. I think they had a, a building somewhere. Yeah, in, in, in Brunswick Street. Yeah, in Brunswick Street. Yeah. And those shows were, uh, you know, you'd go to an exhibition and uh, the thing that, I remember more than anything is that you would never walk out sober. Those guys and gals could drink, you know, so you'd, you'd walk into one of the raw shows, uh, there'd be a pile of like tinnies at the, at, you know, like piled up in the corner of the gallery quite often. Mm -hmm. But the other thing about the raw artists was that they seemed to be very much into punk music. Mm -hmm. So the bands that I recall, that I saw initially were bands like Fungus Brains, um, right. Venom Peace Stinger. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, I, you know, I think like Jim White and uh, Mick Turner mm. were in, um, I think it was Venom Peace Stinger. And, yeah, uh, yeah, both of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and there was this guy, I think his name was Dougald something. Dougald on vocals, yeah. Right, so you, you saw them. Oh, many times. Yeah, he yeah. Was, um, uh, amazingly charismatic singer really um strong low register voice and he sort of really made that work with the kind of you wouldn't actually describe it as thrash it was it was of its own kind of thing but yeah uh amazing i used to see them at the um the builder's arms when it was uh more of a um balkan kind of pub and they used to have a, a saturday afternoon concert i was in a band that played there in one of them but uh, i'd always go and see vanity stigger uh, because I've always just brilliant. I mean, weirdly, melodic in the weirdest of ways because they're so brash and thrashy that you wouldn't expect it. Or rather, you'd be happy enough if they just kept up that. But there was a kind of a melodism that went through that. And of course, Jim White on drums is just, you know, brilliant.
Yeah, so initially it was getting into that scene, Fungus Brains, Venom Pink Stinger, those sort of punky things. But Richmond was an amazing place to live. There was the corner, there was the central club, all within walking distance. Uh, there was even a, a, yeah, the old Greek theatre, fantastic place, great venue. In fact, that's where um, I saw some great acts, including like Buddy Guy. I think that might've been a bit, you know, it would have been 89, I think. Yeah, Weddings, Parties, Anything played at uh, the old Greek theater too. A whole lot of acts used to come through there and it was uh, really run down, scungy place as far as I can remember, next to a, a uh, all night diner called the Hollywood Palace, I think, <laughs> where you could get, you know, burgers and dim sims and really shitty food uh, 24 seven. And that's another thing that struck me about Melbourne, you know, the, those sort of divey eating places, even in the city, you know, where they'd have booths with sort of where you could put a, a dollar into a slot yeah, machine yeah. and call up songs and all of that's gone, completely yeah. gone. Yeah, so the, I, think, I guess the other thing that struck me about the, the music scene in Melbourne was just the diversity of it, because mm. uh, another friend of mine who was really into the blues used to take me to see bands... Um, like the Paramount Trio, Chris Wilson was playing at that time. So there was a really vibrant kind of like blues scene that I recall. And I think he, he played in Fitzroy quite a bit too. I think the Punters Club had a room that was named after him uh, towards the end, the Chris Wilson Lounge or something. The other thing that you mentioned before was public radio. And, you know, we mentioned the importance of public radio when we were talking about, you know, the, the music's, scenes or the alternative music scenes in Perth and Brisbane. But Triple R and PBS were amazing. Uh, I remember yeah. the, the Moving and Grooving Orchestra, which was led by a guy called Paul Cummings, who was from Perth. Uh, you know, he's sadly passed away now. Incredible guitar player. And he had this weekly show on PBS, which I used to tune into. Calling every cat and gator from the poles to the equator. Calling Melbourne, Australia. From 3 PBS FM, it's Saturday afternoon, it's 1.30 Eastern Standard Time, it's the moving and grooving hour. So yeah, I was just sort of hit from all angles by the um, Melbourne scene, or the Melbourne scenes, because there were so many different yeah, things that, that's happening. True. That's true, and they were all supported. The thing that I approached uh, coming to Melbourne already with was the sense that the most the bands that had made innovation work came from melbourne the hunters and collectors the birthday party models all of those bands unlike some of the well the arty ones in brisbane never went anywhere but they, they kind of had this sort of self-defeating thing about them so they weren't ever going to go anywhere i still have a lot of affection for them but they're also like there was a sydney label m squared which had like bands that were basically made of friends from other bands and all this sort of, they released a lot of stuff, but there was never any sense of commitment to it. Maybe that was part of the statement, but in Melbourne, there was a sense of real, we are living this. This is, we're throwing our lot into being this band with this sound, with this ethos. Some of them might not have lasted very long. The birthday party, when you think about them, as in that, under that name, didn't really last that long. But of course you see, see what happened to them. They went overseas, they fell apart for various different reasons, but the legacy 
is as fresh and as respectable, the musical legacy, now as it was back in the early 80s. And I thought of Melbourne as being this place where that could be nurtured, and it still is, through various different trends or expectations, but it's still very vibrant. It certainly was when I moved down here, uh, one of the, the I, I didn't, I couldn't say there was a, a successor to hunters and collectors or anything like that, but I did get a lot of gigs. I went to venues like the Prince of Wales, which I loved. And the fact that radio would not just get behind bands, but they were kind of inseparable. So you turn Triple R on and you would hear local bands and they would be playing vinyl singles that they'd put out on, on labels. And that, which, if that happened in Brisbane, that was like, get, you know, break out the beer because that would be you know, a, a red letter celebration day in, from around the same time. I'm talking mid eighties, mid to late eighties, but it was kind of accepted that, um, that these bands who were being interviewed on the radio actually had product to push and they would do so by massive gigs. Not like it became in the nineties where that would turn into uh, a national tour or an international one, but there was a, a sense that even just within the confines of the greater metropolitan area, there was um, an enthusiasm to put stuff out. And from the other side of it, the people, the punters of what are they bringing out now? I want that album. I want that single. There was a real sense of, well, it's us. You know, we're all in here. We're all doing this stuff. What have you got? I've got this. There was just nothing like that in Queensland. But time. also I think um, Triple R used to put out compilation albums. Yes. And so I remember like coming across bands like Harem Scarum, like through Triple R compilations. Melbourne was a magnet for acts from all over the country. Yes. And when I first moved here, Chris Bailey from the Saints was living in Melbourne. And he used to do these shows at a club called IDs in Paran. Did you ever go there? Uh, I must have, but I don't remember it very well. There, there were a few clubs along um, with Chapel Street. and Yeah, this was on Greville Street, as oh, I recall, and it turned into something else. It's long disappeared, but mm -hmm. Chris Wilson, sorry, Chris Bailey had a, a residency 
and you never knew what you were going to get. It was, yeah. he, he would always play solo. Now, I think by his own admission, he's not the world's greatest guitarist. So it, the, the kind of backing was never stellar. But as a performer, he was either going to be really shit mm. or he would just knock your socks off. You yeah. never knew which guy you were going to get. It was really cool having those sorts of smaller venues as well. It really is something I miss, I guess. The song in Australian is probably called Macho Man. In the port of Amsterdam, there's a sailor who sings of the dreams that he brings from the wide open seas. And in the port of Amsterdam, there's a sailor who sleeps where the riverbank weeps to the old willow tree. And in the port of Amsterdam, there's a sailor who dies full of fear, full of cries in a drunken down fight. And in the port of Amsterdam, there's a sailor who's born on a muggy hot morn by the dawn's early light. Well, there's a, that just reminded me, there's a famous photograph of um, the Saints playing in, I think it is the Prince of Wales or the somewhere, CV Ballroom maybe. And the, the crowd arrived at the edge of the stage almost like pouring on, and among them is a very young Nick Cave looking up. Right. I love that photo. You know the one I'm talking about? No, I've never seen it. Look it up. It's, it's pretty impressive. Right. Almost looks Photoshop, but it isn't. Right. <laughs> so I, I didn't necessarily find the next big thing, although I kind of did because the, uh, I would just put Triple R on. And, um, you know, go about my day. And one of the bands that sort of came up again and again, that was even just like mid 80s onwards, was this serious man, Mortism, who I just thought were hilarious and in the best possible way. I mean, you just couldn't get a, a joke sort of past them because they'd always, they'd already been there. Very, very funny, very um, snarky sort of satire. So they were just starting up there. Uh, this, this is also at the time where this mid mid eighties, the time where sort of like guitar bands were sort of coming back, and um, you're getting a lot of very sixties influenced. There's the Huxton Creepers. I, I'm, I'm sure I could rattle off a few more if I you know, took a moment, but um, <clears throat> I remember them. Uh, Zimmerman, Bill, Billy Baxter. Yeah, interesting. Some of those guys are still playing. You know, um, one of the last gigs I saw before this COVID thing was the models mm. uh, who had reformed. Obviously, 
in their early incarnation, and they were terrific. The Zimmerman are another, were they, did they have that song? Uh, Don't go to Sydney. Yeah. yeah. The lead singer of that band is still playing, and mm-hmm. I saw him at Labour in Vain, I think, a couple of years ago. Okay. I kind of thing I it would disappointed me initially to to see what was what might have been considered what it was considered um indie music to be it's like getting so regressive but at the same time it was actually kind of fun so it was like enjoyable seeing those sorts of bands and they'd really nail that sound so instead of just having this really creaky version of some track off nuggets it, they actually sounded like they'd really invested in it and it was they they present that kind of thing with you know with all the sort of the pace that money could buy that kind of thing but um so yeah i guess that's the other thing that there's a sense of i hate the word professionalism to this day but the the sense that of getting up on stage and it being an important thing it's another way of saying professionalism but that the bands did you know dress the part they presented themselves as bands as entities on stage which i hadn't seen till since the very early 80s, when that was in, well, street clothes were indistinguishable from stage clothes anyway, but they were all pretty impressive. But then that kind of died out and it, it kind of got plain. But to see that kind of thing coming back and bands having a distinct identity and a, a credible one, one that you just sort of, oh, well, they really do seem to be like that. That impressed me. 
it wasn't something I'd necessarily go along with or wanted more of, but I thought, well, this is just so novel for me that I kind of like it for now, at least. Did you find that in terms of the... Because you described the, the Perth scene as, as being fairly professionalist. Yeah, there, there was certainly uh, an element of that, but not on the scale that... Uh, happened in Melbourne. And I remember being blown away by bands like Hunters and Collectors. And there was a real kind of theatricality about a lot of what I saw in Melbourne, which was sort of there. I mean, you know, I think when the Triffids started to become a little heavier, perhaps because of the sort of Nick Cave influence, you know, that that was certainly very powerful. And there were all the, you know, there were sort of the jingle jangle 60s bands like the Stems and so forth in Perth that dressed up in Paisley and you know, there, there was all that happening. But I think what you're talking about is something that is maybe a little bit more um, powerful than that. It, it, you know, I liked it when you described going to a gig as an event, it was just exciting being here. Mm. And I think it was partly because all of that stuff was embedded in a really vibrant culture generally. And I think you're right in saying also that it was not a polarized culture. So people mm. from different walks of life would intermingle in these sort of inner city venues. You know, Melbourne was just amazing. It was just an amazing social scene. I remember the parties here, like mm. you know, just huge numbers turning up to inner city share houses. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, that happened in Perth, but not on the scale that it happened no, here. No, that's right. I, I can clearly remember, um, maybe not every party, but the... I remember thinking there was a big difference between Party on the North Side and St Kilda. If you went to a St Kilda party, you'd always go because they're, they're, it would just be huge, enormous. And they'd really throw something on. There'd be some kind of event, some kind of, uh, not sky riding, but, you know, fireworks, that kind of thing, that scale of thing. There'd be something to turn it into from people sitting around drinking tinnies <laughs> to something you'd talk about the next day. This happened. And if there were costume parties, people just wouldn't safety pin something together. They would work on them. Yeah. I was I was blown away by that because well, people actually care about that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think Mick Thomas immortalized the, uh, the Fitzroy party in a song called um, Woman from Ireland. So that was another thing that would happen, you know, that was sort of happening alongside, uh, you know, the music scene, the art scene, the theatre scene all these people would mingle in these sort of like suburban parties, which were a lot of fun. Do you think that there was something really distinctive about that time that we've perhaps lost? Or are we just sort of like romanticizing our youth, you know, which is always a, a hazard when, when you look back in the way that we are, it, I mean, throughout this podcast. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it's inevitable that that, 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 that tent is going to be in there. I don't think we're romanticizing the that do-it-yourself kind of thing. Where because in in Melbourne, what I, the Melbourne I found was that it, it was do-it-yourself because no one else was going to do it for you. So people, the the scenes you would see, you would take part in. Where I went to a bit of live theatre myself, uh, certainly lots of art openings, gigs, and and movie events, things like that, and even just. <clears throat> even just the party, there seemed to be this idea of, um, hey, this is what we do. This is the way we do it. And there wasn't like, I'm from Melbourne, this is the way we do it. It's just, that's 
the way you do it here. There was, I think it's more, I think we're, we're kind of, we've just been finding different ways of saying that we were impressed by the fact that this was a big city that acted like it. If you had to nominate a song that captures the ethos and the um, atmosphere of the era that we've been discussing, what would that be just off the top of your head? Probably Talking to a Stranger, Anderson Collector's song. Very briefly, because the clip was done at the Atherton Gardens Estate here, a lot of it by Richard Lowenstein, who made Dogs in Spaces and all of those connotations. Anderson Collectors were possibly the first sizable Melbourne band that I saw in Brisbane, and they put the zap in me about Melbourne. And when I got here, the song Throw Your Arms Around Me wasn't that old either. And I just remember going down to St Kilda and all that. So how does and Collectors definitely remind me of, make me think of Melbourne.
talking to a stranger it was because before I got there, that was an important song and it made me think of where I would eventually end up. How about you? It's tough. There are probably like, I don't know, maybe a couple of things that come to mind. The first thing that comes to mind is the models because I was given the task of reviewing uh, the album Local and or General right. in the early 80s, I think. Mm-hmm. And I loved that record. And uh, so I had this imaginary sense of what Melbourne might be like, like through that record. Not that there, were, you know, there was any particular reference to the city.
I'm not a huge Paul Kelly fan, but he is another person from that era who mm-hmm. yep. uh, is not from Melbourne, but like commemorates Melbourne and Melbourne culture and his music. But I always liked that song from uh, St Kilda to yeah. King's Cross. hotel on Ligon Street when it was really just a pub had a jukebox and it had that song Carlton someone would play that every time I was in there I used to go there with friends all the time when I lived in North Melbourne so it was like Ligon Street was just outside you know when the sun sets over Carlton you know I thought that was pretty amazing (laughs) that's like being in San Francisco and hearing you know are you going to San Francisco all right well maybe uh, we'll go out on uh, that track
and make sure they are real. When the sun sets over Carlton and you're out to make a deal, check out who you're talking to and make sure they are real. Keep me.